are dreamers, leaders, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so much more. We are Supernovas. What's up, everybody? I'm GB, and this is Conquering the New World, a show that combines the life lessons told in anime with our shared experience. a really fun and amazing time to be a storyteller, especially to be a black storyteller. The mix of respect for the craft, but also with a lot of ambition for what I want to accomplish. I'm trying to steward new stories into the world. That is the voice of Tony Weaver Jr., writer, visionary, part-time TikTok teacher of all things anime, and the founder of Weird Enough Productions, where they make heroes on and off the page. Today, Tony shares his journey and explains how he, a young, confident teen, knew he wanted to grow into a beacon of representation and hope for youth like him. Much like the superhero influencer from Tony's own comic series, Tony has learned being that beacon is not easy. And rather than striving for perfection, the role actually requires something different. It requires the ability to recognize that we are flawed, we are human, and to proudly stand tall in the things that make us unique, the things that make us uncommon. As a young man, you identified early on that your story needed a certain type of MC, and you decided to become that main character that was going to provide representation to those like you and those behind you. How did you come to that realization, and what was that point like? Was it something that was jarring, like a, like a sudden moment that blew you into this new perspective, or was it something that you always kind of felt deep down and just gradually grew into? I think it was something that I gradually grew into. Because from my perspective, there were a lot of things in my life growing up that felt very disjointed. And it wasn't until I got to college and I really, uh, from my perspective, found my calling that suddenly all of those things blended together and, makes, and made sense. So my organization's called Weird Enough Productions. And a part of why that is, is because for me and everybody else on my team, we know what it's like to be the weird kid. You see those tweets where they say, uh, you were 12 years old, Naruto run into class. And I'm like, you're correct, I was. For every young nerd, there's a point in time where you realize that your hobbies are something that not everybody else is into. Like when you're eight years old and you open a pack of Pokemon cards and you're really excited about it, you tend to have other eight-year-olds that are around you that also enjoy Pokemon cards. But as you grow up, there are fewer and fewer people around you that get excited about trading cards. And I think I looked up at 14 and saw all of my friends who I used to play cards with all the time looking at me like, man, why are you still playing with trading cards? That is that is a kid thing, that's for kids. Um, so I, I felt weird, not only in my interests, uh, but also in my behavior. Like you see all those Twitter memes about the kid uh, that Naruto runs down the hall with his arms behind his back. Totally me, 100%. I was that guy. <laughs> um, not ashamed of it at all. <laughs> I was totally that kid. Um, and I think that the other thing that made me feel weird was my thought process. So when I was younger, I had a lot of trouble explaining 
my perspective to people. Um, I used to think in pictures a lot. So it'd be hard for me to put things into words, but in my head, I would imagine things as pictures, camera angles, shots, frames, things like that. And when I was younger, I didn't know that's what it was. I just thought that um, I had a really different perspective that other people couldn't understand. Uh, but when I got to college and I started to put all the pieces together, um, I had a black communications professor uh, named Dr. Naima Clark uh, that taught my first communications class that walked me through uh, this communications concept called cultivation theory that essentially outlines the ways uh, that media representation is able to have an impact on its audience members for better or for worse. And I think that in that moment, I realized that everything about um, the way the, the way that I thought differently, the way that I like to organize my thoughts, the way that I like to organize my thoughts visually, things like that, um, it all came together into one thing. And that, and that was kind of when I decided to take that leap. Being a teenager that is actually really interested in these things, whereas everyone else looked at it as this was just a temporary phase, but this was something that was more in the lane of life's work for you and how easy it is to feel isolated and ostracized by that realization. I think a lot of us have been there. Uh, similar to you, my moment was with not just with Pokemon cards, but also with action figures. I did know that anime and manga was like a taboo topic. I didn't really bring it up with girls or like friends out of conditioning. So I knew I had to share those things, but I still found myself like even when I was participating, kind of living a dual life. I participate and I do one thing, you know, when I'm at home at school, but I can't wait to get home because I got Legend of Zelda queued up on the 64 and I got a whole storyline and a plot that I wrote out for these action figures that yep. I got to finish off tonight and see how this goes for like this fictional make-believe world I created, whereas everyone else just did it because it was the expectation of being a child and this is just what you do in this phase of your life. I was looking at it that I really, really enjoy this and I like being here in these moments and in these spaces. Exactly. I was like you, man. Uh, I kept all my like super nerd shit like on a low. I went to a, like a you know a, a summer camp or whatever, and we used to play uh, Magic the Gathering, and you know I was a beast at the game as a kid, so I loved it. Um, I was in the camp to like middle school, and I still have my cards to this day. But like outside of camp, I didn't play with it because like niggas in high school and junior high, like I knew they wasn't fucking with it, so I was like, well, I'll just keep my shit to myself and play at summer camp. And I kind of just, you know, once I got to high school, I was grown, quote unquote. And like all my friends from summer camp, they wasn't around no more to play. So I kind of just stopped playing. Like I was like, I'm not about to out myself. And like same thing with anime and manga. Like I, I always watched it at home, but like I didn't know folks at, in high school was watching it like being on the low. Like it, it just was what it was, you know. I definitely can agree with that. When I was growing up, it was kind of like, um, like I was around like in a white, predominantly white neighborhood. So I was around a lot of like you know like ethnic people. So like you know the the white people they were they were down for you no know, playing with the games, they were playing with card games, play the Uno, play the Beyblade and stuff like that. So growing up like around my preteen years, it was fun. You know I had someone to hang out with, someone to talk to. But then it's like as I got close in like the like high school years, like when the crowd started shifting, started going into more like you know the ethnic crowd. And I realized that they weren't weren't into the stuff that I was into. They weren't like you know down to like battle. You know. You know, with some um, Beyblade and stuff like that, they went down to, like, you know, trade some cards or play some games. I feel like it's becoming more mainstream now, and I'm hoping that, you know, it doesn't take away from the actual lore of the actual, like, people enjoying it, and it's not just for a fad. Definitely. I think that my, my journey 
in starting Weird Enough is one that is passed through a variety of places. So very often I tell a story about how uh, when I was in college, I mentored a fourth grade student uh, who loved comic books, was really big into cartoons, but struggled to find superheroes that looked like him and therefore thought that he wasn't able to uh, that he wasn't able to be a hero himself. Um, and I also really often talk about how uh, that experience had a really profound impact on me because, well, um, when, when I was in middle school, I attempted to end my own life because I didn't feel like who I was had value. So seeing a kid dealing with the same thing helped me recognize, okay, there are a lot of people that are dealing with this and this problem that I thought was individual is actually something that a lot of people are experiencing. So if I don't create a solution for it, then who's going to be there for those kids? If I don't do it, then what is what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Like not not to get too morbid, um, but right now in the in the U.S., suicide rates among young people are the highest that they've been in the last twenty years especially in black communities. Um, like even in, in, 20, in 2019, for the first six, month of tw six months of 2019, literally every week there was a news story hitting headlines about black kids, some of them as young as eight years old, ending their own life because of bullying, because of homophobia, because like from my perspective, I didn't feel like young people, especially young black people, were given the room to embody their brilliance and steward that brilliance into the world. And when you're different and you're different in a positive way, people call you a leader. When you're different and you're different in a negative way, people call you a nuisance. And I think that there are so many young black leaders that are being treated like they're nuisances and there aren't people in their lives, there aren't things that they can go look at that prove otherwise to them, that help them really recognize and embrace that brilliance. And it was kind of from that place that I wanted to begin my work. Um, and I think that outside of all of that, it's just a struggle to make anything, just, just in general, from scratch. To be a creator, it's a struggle because you have to really invest in your idea before anybody else uh, before anybody else is willing to come and stand behind it. Like you got to be your own biggest hype man. But in addition to that, there are a lot of people that really like manga and really like comics, but I don't think they have an understanding at all of how the business side of it works. And that's extremely stressful. Um, I think navigating that was the place that required the most work from me and that required the most creative thinking from me. From a writing perspective, we started developing The Uncommons maybe early 2016. And in that time, once we figured out who Iris was as a character, Influencer came next, then Sage, then Chikara, then Echo, and the world kind of built outwards around them. And we started developing what each arc would be and what each character would need to go through to get to the point that they needed to go to like the the storytelling and the character arcs they all they all came to me and even though there were some difficulties that was a joyful form of exploration for me the true struggle came when you have to say well how am i going to make all of this and make it financially sustainable because nerds especially black comic nerds love to talk about milestone media but nobody talks about the fact that milestone media got bought because they couldn't cut it financially 
Nobody talks about that part. Everybody's like, oh, aesthetic is so amazing. Aesthetic, icon, rocket. And I'm like, I'm glad you feel that way. But very obviously, you aren't feeling that way with your wallet or else it still exists as an organization. Even Marvel filed for bankruptcy. Like it's there's in the comic space, anything involving the sequential art medium, financially making it in that space is stress that I don't even have the words to explain. What I'm learning as a creative myself, uh, you know, as I write and as I produce this podcast and everything else that I'm that I'm getting into, um, it is exceptionally hard to monetize and build anything that's based on something as subjective as art. It is even more difficult for people like myself and like other black kids like me who don't come from families that understand finance and who don't understand those concepts to do that. You said it yourself, like even Marvel had to file for bankruptcy and and you look at the companies that we're building and not to, you know, say they're in Marvel's shadow by any sense of the realm, but we are trying to build ourselves into the scope and the reach that Marvel has and to see that, you know, the company that's the goal is struggling. It kind of puts that wall in front of you like, man, I got to get over this obstacle. How am I going to do this? Because I don't have those skills and I don't even know who to turn to. Like, I don't have those people in my family that have ever walked the path that I, I walk. Who do I turn to? Who can I trust? And how can I put everything together to make this machine that I'm trying to build into something that's both enjoyable and profitable at the same time? And I, I think that's such a yeah. difficult hurdle for black creatives and black artists uh, and black business owners in general. When I developed The Uncommons, the idea was to create heroes that could be universally relatable as a group. So maybe if maybe if Iris isn't your favorite, like she's my favorite, maybe you'll really relate to Echo. Maybe if Echo wasn't your favorite, maybe you'll really relate to Chikara. I mix their experiences uh, meaningfully and purposely in a way that people from all sorts of different backgrounds would be able to find at least one character or one experience of those characters um, that they could truly relate to, uh, that, that it allowed them to develop some kind of relationship with the story. I think that very often when it comes to representation of, of Black characters, uh, it's very often rooted in respectability. So if you're going to put a black character on the page in a superhero suit, then that character is going to be perfect, right, in any way. And this isn't to shade some characters, but like T'Challa is literally the king of an advanced African nation, right? A large part of his, a large part of his allure is rooted in the fact that he is this respectable, ideal, he's strong, he's a great leader, he listens, he doesn't really make mistakes, and he can fight too, and his technology is advanced, and his country is richer than Bruce Wayne, and that's just canon. Like every, in, in order for him to be successful in general, at a base level, he's like above everybody from the beginning. Even when you look at Storm as an Omega level mutant, Storm, Storm is a goddess, like literally. <laughs> That's, that's, that's her allure. Like you can't, you're not going to beat her in a fight. You're not going to beat her when it comes to elegance. She doesn't need a man's permission to do anything. Literally Storm as a character is this perfect, what, do, what are you going to do? Can you do anything but respect and bow? No, 
<laughs> there's not really there's not really anything you can do. Um, and I think that a lot of black characters have to be that way. They're not allowed to be angry. They're not allowed to be imperfect. They're not allowed to have a little hood in them. They're not allowed to be fully three dimensional. And when I developed the uncommons, I wanted to make characters that had permission to do that, that had permission to be three dimensional. Like, I think that of the five uncommons, aside from Chikara, anybody who you put in a who you got battle versus just about anybody, the uncommons are either going to struggle really hard to win or they're going to lose. Like, at this point in the story, my squad is not super strong right now. Aside from Chikara, I'm not really putting anybody in a fight. I wouldn't place bets. Um, but by doing that, we give them room to grow. And I think that's really important. Uncommons, it it unfurls at a at a rapid pace. The goat of goats influencer, the guy who this whole the whole fight, the whole series is revolving around, you crack his shell and realize that he's dealing with insecurities and he's dealing with problems and he's dealing with everything that a normal human being would be dealing with. And that is such a powerful thing to go through to see him struggling and not really understand if he can be that hero or if he even wants to be that hero. If I go out and be this hero that all of you think I am. What if I fail? When he pulls up with the with the all might fist and slams down touchdown ground zero in the middle of everything, just like I am here, it makes that moment all the more special for me because you've just overcome your insecurities and your fear to pull up for the people. That's a one for all moment. I really appreciate you saying that because that that was a hundred percent the intention. I think that with influencer something that I thought about was the lack of uh, the lack of versatility that black boys and black men are allowed to show um, before we get called weak or feminine or inadequate. Uh, the The running joke on among any anime fans is that if you talk to a black dude in his early to mid twenties and ask him what his top five anime are, Dragon Ball Z is probably going to be in there. <laughs> um, yes, sir. If you, it's, it's, pro it's probably going to be in there. When you were in middle school, you had a friend who could draw, and the reason you knew he could draw was because he drew like a black Saiyan and managed to get all of the muscle contours and stuff right. And that made you go, oh, wow, you can actually draw. <laughs> and the irony is not lost on me that in a society that very often pressures black men to be strong, emotionally stoic, and to show no weakness, the show and characters that we gravitate towards are the ones where they literally have rippling muscles that you can see through stone armor. <laughs> and from arc to arc, they never lose. Or if they do, it is only for a moment, right? Like there's a, it, I, as an observer, my brain says, well, of course, this is what we gravitate towards, because in theory, this whole Saiyan motto manifesto is exactly what black men are conditioned to be. It's the way that we're pressured to behave. I think toxic masculinity has a grip on black men in a lot of ways. And when I developed Influencer, my thought process was, what if black men were given the freedom to be afraid and to be open about the fact that they were afraid? What if we were given the freedom to be insecure? 
Did you hear that? Tony touches on something powerful here. What is representation? Someone who's just like us, an idol that we admire but can never become, a character that looks like us, all of the above, or something in between. In the uncommons, Influencer struggles with the weight of the world and the what-ifs. He learns the lesson that all of this shit is bigger than him. He must get dirty in the trenches and be the chain. His journey and his story are the winds of inspiration for those to fly behind him. This is precisely why black storytellers are needed. Like Tony, like you, like all of us. New stories showing our cultural struggles, joys, fears, and aspirations provide opportunities to see ourselves as the hero without having to become someone else. Due to cancel culture and the how we overstep with diversity and inclusion sometimes, I don't think we would allow black characters to be human as well. I think we push the boundaries of what's actually human and what's offensive to us. Um, we as a people and as a culture are struggling with that right now. So do you think that you're going to, do you think that having these characters that are human and dealing with things like maybe having a little hood in them, maybe, you know, being tempted by the dark side, having these true stereotypes, because people don't like the truth. They don't like to see what they've really gone through. They do want ideal when they read stories. Do you feel like that's going to get you any backlash for how you're writing in the uncommons? I think there are two things there. I think number number one, from my point of view, I don't think we're in a place where we're quote unquote struggling with cancel culture. I think cancel culture mm -hmm. is accountability for your actions. And what we're actually seeing is that there are some people that are significantly easier to hold accountable than others. And majority of the ones that get held accountable uh, kind of more in a more stern way or people that don't directly mm -hmm. have access to privilege and things like that. Um, so, but I, I think that when it comes to the characters, a part of the job as a writer is to create your story with an understanding of the historic context that it's, that it's yeah. being made in. Does that make sense? So if, if as an author, I put pen to paper and I say, I want to create a story that communicates this message to my readers. I had number one, have to know who my readers are. I have to know what perspective my readers might look at this through and what point of view uh, and, and what point of view my readers may have, what experiences my readers may have. And it's my job as a writer to take that and reconcile it with my creative senses and what I want to make and emerge with something that allows me to feel creatively fulfilled, but also make sure that I get the message across to the audience. I'm not one of those people that feels like you got to write for your audience. You have to make your audience happy all the time. But I do think that when you're writing something, you should be seeking to communicate a certain message. And if you don't communicate that message, as easy as it is to blame cancel culture or blame the readers, if your message wasn't, uh, wasn't received, you do kind of have to look in the mirror and think about how could I have communicated it differently. And for the uncommons, I'll give you an example. So influencer, right? Influencer, black man, lives in this affluent city. Throughout the first arc of the uncommons, we don't see influencers' parents. My thought process was, well, I know why you don't see his parents. I, I won't spoil it. And there was a point in time when we were going to show a picture of influencer's mother. And my thought process was, you know, 
if we show a picture of influencer's mother and we don't explicitly say anything about his father, then somebody's going to assume that his father's just not there. And then we directly fall into that trope of like black man with absent father in his life, even though statistically speaking, black men are the most active in mm -hmm. their children's lives out of any demographic. Like that's data. And I had to go, well, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I also don't want people to get derailed. I don't want to waste time and attention on things that aren't of consequence to the story. So we'll get rid of the picture and they'll appear when they appear. On its surface, on its surface, one could look at that as, okay, you're, you're adjusting the story or you're kind of limiting your creativity to make sure that you don't get canceled or you don't get people trying to drag you on Twitter. But from my perspective, I see it as no, I am making sure that readers walk away from my work with the message that I want them to walk away from it with. While you're in this educating mood, kind of want to get into just quickly the educational aspect of the comics because I thought that was different. I come from a poor neighborhood where we didn't have access to resources like that, much less cool resources that I would like to participate in. I think the fact that you're providing these resources for these kids um, that they're probably going to also want to be a part of. And at that age, as we talked about earlier, um, the moment when you realize I'm a nerd and not just a kid. They're all nerds and kids mixed in. Was that was that targeted or did you just fall into that step too? So the the educational aspect of our work is one that was always on my mind for uh, for two reasons. Uh, number one, because my mom is an educator. So my mom was a public school teacher, assistant principal, principal, and now she's a regional superintendent over like 30 schools. Um, and it's very interesting to see her work from home right now because I get to I get to see the school conversations and I'm like, wow, they really have you working. The joke that I tell is that I grew up in the principal's office. It's like you, you leave school, your dad comes and picks you up and then he drops you off at your mom's school and you go sit in the principal's office and do your homework. Like I, I was in the principal's office every day because the principal was my mom. Education is always something that kind of floats in the back of my head. But I think the other reason that I looked at education as a potential uh, kind of outlet and way to make the comic story uh, a bit more impactful is because I want to actually do what I say I'm doing. And when I say that, uh, and when I say that, I mean this. Um, representation matters, and we know that. We know that representation matters. However, there are a lot of people, especially creators, that say representation matters, and then just go do whatever and think that whatever they're doing is suddenly going to be this God-sent miracle to minority communities because it happens to have representation. But the data tells us that that's not how that works. Representation matters, but representation matters in practice. You don't get to make a 22-page comic that happens to have a Black character and go, representation matters, and go to sleep at night thinking, well, I did my part. My comic has a Black character. You see them? They're right on the cover. I did my part. Representation matters. That's not how that works. Representation matters when you put work behind it, when you connect it with curricula and pedagogy and activities and get it in front of kids and put it in an academic circumstance where they can think through the stereotypes that they're seeing and that they're decoding, it works when you do it that way. But I think we've gotten really lazy with this idea that, oh, 
if we just create representation, suddenly everything's going to melt away. Like white supremacy wasn't created by accident. So our solutions aren't going to be created by accident either. We got to be real specific in the way that we dismantle these things. And for me, the educational part of our work was the way that we do that. So like I said earlier, mm -hmm. The Uncommons is not an educational story. It's not an educational comic, right? But neither is Naruto. And how many people learn how to believe themselves because of that moment in the tuning exams when Rock Lee took those weights off, right? Like me personally, I remember exactly where I was when Rock Lee took those weights off. I remember what I was, I remember stopping what I was doing. I remember my dad calling me. I remember my dad calling me and me being like, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold, hold on, hold on. Somebody to go down. I need, I need to see this. I remember my eyes getting wide mm -hmm. and my palms were sweaty. I was like, oh, shit, around. he really strong. <laughs> yep. He finna do something. It's I was in Pop's crib, bro. It's about to Man, go down. <laughs> so, so, so my thought was, what if we could take the moment when Rock Lee removed his weights and connect it to a lesson plan, an activity, or a project around how young people can acknowledge their own personal strengths and use those strengths to win difficult battles. So Rock Lee is over here like, yeah, man, I don't have ninjutsu, I don't have genjutsu, but I do have taijutsu, so I'm gonna make it work. And if you take that and put it in front of a student uh, that comes from a low-income community, where they'll be able to say, I don't have access to all of these resources that other people might have access to. I don't uh, have these giant networks and family members that can give me a small loan of a million dollars, but I'm still going to be successful and I'm still going to achieve my dreams. When I wrote The Uncommons as a writer, something that was, that was a, a fun challenge was as I wrote the story, I was like, this has to live and exist as a story, but I also should be able to pick up this comic and turn to any page and be able to point to something that I can put in front of a kid and go, when Iris does this, I want you to think about this. When influencer feels this way and he resolves that emotion this way, I want you to think about that when you feel a similar emotion. I oftentimes joke with uh, the queen of the house. We call her the secretary on the pod. Um, I oftentimes joke with the secretary that anime raised me. My major lessons in life has, you know, between the ages of 14 and 17 were all given to me by anime was me sitting down watching different anime episodes or reading a manga and going like, oh, I really need to think about this. Like, this is what a leader should do. That's a big brother moment right there. That's how you respect your elders, things of that sense. Those things came to me through anime and manga. Yeah. And that actually was the, the birth point for this particular interview series that we're doing right now, this episode, Conquering the New World. The whole concept for it came because I wanted to give conversations from people that are doing things and somehow tie it back to the lessons that we learn in anime, manga. And in the case of this episode, it will be a comic, the Uncommons. But, you know, same concept. Um, I wanted to tie those lessons back that we take from this content and, you know, put it to what people are doing in the real world so that you can see how you too could be applying these lessons to your life. Uh, as you focus on providing those lessons yeah. and you're providing the representation, uh, what is your kind of ideal vision as you step forward into the future like what are these what what does the vehicle do for these kids as they go into the as they go into the future like what are you seeing them
so I think that there are two things that I think about uh, when I think about Weird Enough and our trajectory as an organization. I think that I'm really focused on the uncommons and the potential of the uncommons to be uh, this massive global media property, if you will. Um, so like my, every, everybody's like, well, what's your next steps? What's your plan? I'm over here like, listen, I want an Uncommons animated series in development or pre-production somewhere by the end of 2020. That's my goal. That's what I'm pushing towards because I think that our, I think that our stories are strong enough. I think the, the characters are relatable enough. I think that as a team, we can take it that far. Um, but in addition to that, I think that as the comic itself grows, because and I got to make sure I don't give, I got to make sure I don't give anything away. Um, very similar to, we're on the Worst Generation podcast, so I know y'all are One Piece fans. I can talk about it. The coolest people in the One Piece universe are not on board the Thousand Sunny. When I think about like the people in the One Piece universe, where I'm like, wow, that is such an amazing backstory. Where did your powers come from? You're so cool. Like, I love the Straw Hats. They have a special place in my heart. But when I think about, like, when I think about Captain Kidd and Law and Bonnie and Sabo, I'm like, listen, I love the Straw Hats, but uh, I the, these other characters, they got a special place for me. In the Uncommons, what I'll say is that I love the main group. Like, they're my kids. They're the squad, and they're, like, the focal point of the story, but there are some other characters that haven't quite made an appearance yet. My idea for Weird Enough is what would it look like if somebody built Marvel Comics in 2020? The way that they handled their distribution, the way that they separated their stories, the way that they introduced readers to their world would be uniquely different. It'd be driven by social media and technology as well as user engagement. It'd be a completely different game. And I wanna, I wanna do that. That's what I'm excited about with the Uncommons. So right now it's one comic um, and uh, we are nearing the end of arc one. I wanna say we're like, we're two thirds of the way through arc one. Um, and we plan for the Uncommons to be four uh, kind of arcs in succession. But at the end of that fourth arc, there's an event that takes place that cracks the world wide open. And I think it, there is when we start to uh, introduce new titles put the spotlight on characters that are really cool that people might not have uh, might not have had the opportunity to see as much. And I'm really focused on building that. I want that that kind of empire. Like um, Shonen Jump is a bunch of different titles, but they didn't launch all of them on the same day. Like they grew it over time. And I think that's, uh, that, that's what we're aiming to do here, not just on the page, but in animation as well. From an educational perspective, I hope that as the comic grows and we improve readership, we'll really be able to meet kids where they are and drive that impact. Um, I want to be able to partner with larger education institutions like a Boys and Girls Club or YMCA and say like, okay, what does it look like for us to put comics in the hands of every kid that you work with? What, what, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to go to somebody like Teach for America and say, when your teachers show up for training this year, um, we're gonna train them on how to use comics in the classroom and every member of the Teach for America Corps is gonna walk into the classroom with an Uncommons comic in their hand to help their students. 
stuff like that gets me really excited. As content creators, we have the privilege to provide works of experience for our fans. Lack of representation is an issue more complex than just missing characters from the cast. Rather than providing a strong, rich, and powerful, infallible black character, Tony has taken a different route. Yes, he's provided us a range of diverse characters from all walks of life. In terms of the black characters, one thing that I found special is that they aren't the ideal characters that Tony speaks about in the episode. He provides us with characters who have flaws and are human. And what really makes them special is that Tony provides the tools and the information on how these characters overcome their flaws and build to better versions of themselves. You see, the thing that makes the Uncommon special is that representation is present at every point of the journey, not just when the character reaches its ideal state. I think that part of being a leader is knowing where you're supposed to be and where you're not supposed to be. My team, so my, I have, I work, I get the chance to work with an, with a really amazing team uh, that's based around the world. Um, we're spread out so far that all of us have never been in one room together. At most, I've met half of my team in person. Even though some, of, even though some of the people on my team have been working with me literally for years, and we talk every day, haven't met them in person. Um, but at weird enough, the way that we stratify and organize things is that we say there are four categories of things. There are things that you were good at. There are things that you were good at and you like to do. There are things that you were bad at and there are things that you were bad at that you, um, that you like to do. What I try to do is make my job a place where I am always in the things that I am good at, but I like to do. That's where I want to fall. <laughs> if I'm good at it, but I don't like to do it, honestly, who cares? Because if I don't want to do it, it's going to be stressful for me and it's going to take me longer to do because I really don't want to do it. If I'm bad at it and I like to do it, even though I'm bad at it, my options are to either get better or have the maturity to move out of the way and let somebody else that knows what they're doing handle it. And I, I think that as a leader, my job is always gonna be stick to the lane where you're good at what you do and you like what you're doing, because that's what's gonna give you the energy uh, to, that's what's gonna give you the energy to grow and, uh, and keep persevering forward and producing your best work. As, as a creative and as a writer, the thing that I think about a lot and that I think is really important is that the most finite resource that we have is time. When we think about what we wanna create or what we wanna bring into the world, the thing that we really have to protect is our time because that's the thing I can't outsource. That's the thing I can't hire somebody else to do. As a creator, there are certain things that you personally have to tend to. So you gotta do what's necessary to protect your mental space and your emotional space so that when the time comes for you to do that work, you can do it most efficiently in a way that best leverages your time. If it's wasting your time, you gotta, you gotta let it go. I'm at that point right now. I really love writing the pod, creating the concepts for the new, for the new content we're gonna do and doing i've really fallen in love with the behind the scenes the business aspect of it but because of time's sake i struggle to do everything to do the production and design the new stuff and coordinate <laughs> with people and do everything i have to do and so i'm at the point now where how do i gang, gang. 
take the finite resources that I have at my fingertips and allocate it to people to handle these jobs for me and then use that to, you know, build the pod into a stronger revenue producing uh, entity where I can better support that and pay these people to do like the jobs that I'm not as passionate about and I can put more of my energy and time into like the things that are really driving the pod, which would be like the stories and finding unique guests that I want on the episodes and also like, you know, building out the new content. That's been a big thing for me. Even though I enjoy where I am, there have been parts of this journey that are really stressful. Um, it strained my relationship with some of my friends. And like, obviously we've made up now, but there were some occasions where uh, there was a lot of tension between my friends and I. There are nights that uh, I stayed up all night working when I wished that I was actually getting sleep. Uh, times when I wanted to hang out with friends that I couldn't because I had things to do. And a lot of uncertainty. I think that when something's in an early stage, you spend so much time pitching what you're doing to people and hearing no, that it can really get to you mentally. Um, but even with all of that, I don't think I would go back and change anything. Because if I look at where I am right now, there's no way that I would be here if I didn't take every single step that I took, even the bad ones, even the times when I stumbled, if I hadn't done it, then I wouldn't have got to the place that I was. It's crazy to look back and think about how many amazing connections were made because I wasn't in the right place. Like, um, for example, uh, I have a really good friend who I met at San Diego Comic-Con. We presented at San Diego Comic-Con last year. And the way that I met that person was because uh, I got lost and was not at the industry panel that I was supposed to be at. And I wanted to be at that panel because there was a producer there that I was going to try to talk to and pitch. But I got lost because it was in a different building. So I didn't get to talk to the producer. But I did meet this person who honestly has been much more, uh, much more helpful for me and encouraging to me as a friend than whatever that producer could have done for me. It's like, I feel like my, my entire journey consists of happy mistakes like that. So yeah, in that same vein, how much of like the people you met, has it been organic versus like intentional? Cause like, for example, I know on the podcast, we needed someone to like, like kind of do our artwork or like some of the marketing stuff. Cause like none of us do that. So that's like more of an intentional thing was like the producer, you knew you want to talk to that guy, but you met this other person who you felt was a better for what you needed. It's like how much of your growth has been like organic versus intentional? I'll say that my intention is what puts me in the space. And once I'm in the space, who knows, man? Who knows? Perfect example. You know Matthew Cherry? I'm not familiar with um, him. So Matthew Matthew Cherry is a Oscar winning director. He directed Hair Love. Um, the the short film. He just got a first look deal with HBO. Oh, um, yeah. I know. Okay. Okay. Black guy, former football player, is doing like really cool things. Um, I met Matthew Cherry like five years ago as a senior in college at South by Southwest when one of his first films, um, Nine Rides, was streaming at South by Southwest. And it was like this cool novel thing because he had shot the whole thing on an iPhone and everybody was like, 
how can you shoot a film that makes it to South by Southwest on nothing but an iPhone? And Matthew Cherry was like, I got you. I'm going to show you exactly how it's done. Um, I was at South by Southwest because I had won a research grant from my school to study media misrepresentation. And since South by Southwest is like a world-class media conference, I took time off of class and used my school's money to fly to Austin, Texas and go to South by Southwest. I'm walking around with my student badge, all bright eyed, seeing all these like producers and all these premieres are happening. Like, wow, what, what is this place? And my intention is what got me to the conference because I was like, in order for me to go on this journey, there are certain things that I'm gonna need to know. I currently don't know those things. So I need to go, <laughs> I need to go and learn them from somebody else. So the intention is what got me there. But once I got to the conference, I start wandering around. There are literally thousands of people flooding downtown Austin. I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know half of the people that are here. There's so much going on. But I ended up at the Nine Rides premiere and I met Matthew Cherry. And then he followed me back on Twitter, which is like low key one of my crown and achievements. Shout out to Matthew Cherry. Um, and now years later, years later, he's super busy. But if I need something and it's really important, he'll respond. If I hit him up and I'm like, literally, this will take 30 seconds of your time. He's like, whatever you need here. Um, and it's opportunities like that, that I don't think I could have. I don't think you can plan for that, right? You got to set your intention, be in the right space, and then you'll run into the people that you run into. That's, that's exactly what it is. Sometimes the universe just puts the right people in there and you have to have just pre-done the work and be prepared for that moment. And that's all you can do. You can't plan the whole moment out. You just got to roll with the punches sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> I think that, Tony, what you're doing is a great thing. You Not only are you writing the story of the Uncommons and providing both identity and representation and positive role models for people, but you also are living a story that does the same thing, that uh, younger generations than you will be able to look at you and go, he did this. And so your biography should be just as powerful as um, all the fiction that you're writing as well. So, you know, kudos to you and shout out to that. Uh, I want to thank you for pulling up with us today and having this conversation. This has been one of the uh, best conversations I've had in a while. And we touched on a lot of topics in a very short time. I wish that, you know, this was a long form podcasting like Joe Rogan style or uh, Joe Budden. Well, you know, we podding for three, four hours and we podding, podding. But uh, unfortunately, we pretty much limit ours to like an hour, hour and a half. And because of that time constraint, we have to end the conversation early. But I really do hope we can get you back in the future and talk about the little things more in detail and get your, your voice and your insights because they're really powerful. Definitely. Next time I'm on, I'll have things to say about the animated series. It'll be in development. I'll be like, all right, guys, I told you I was going to do it. And now we're here. <laughs> does, does Uncommons have an end or... Um, does it keep going? Are you, is it going to be, since you're going to branch off with different content, are we going to see like the Uncommons multiverse and we're seeing, you know, influencer from earth 386. So what I'll say is I don't do alternate universes because I think that they're, amen, amen. Okay. Don't say, let's go. <laughs> so I don't do, I don't do alternate universes, okay. but what I will, what I will say is that the end of the four arc story that we have planned right now 
is really just the beginning of the story of the uncommons as a whole. At the end of Iris's vision, she sees this word resurgence, 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 and it pops up every time she has a vision, resurgence, resurgence, resurgence. Um, and what I'll say without getting too spoilery um, is that the resurgence is much bigger than her. Um, okay. And once we get to the once we get to the end of that four story arc, what we are going to see, um, what 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 we're going to see is the entire world of the Uncommons reacting to that. I'm looking forward okay. to it. I'm with I read it. a couple chapters and I was up. like, all right, this is interesting. I can I can get behind this. And then I saw it was only twelve. I was like, well, like, come on, man, like <laughs> you teasing me at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on. Don't I'm on number. <laughs> I didn't finish all twelve. I'm on number ten, so don't spoil nothing. No, I have, I'm not even that far yet. Um, I, I just started. I started. I was like, I thought I was like more, and I saw. I was like, let me slow down, and I'm gonna just pace myself. You know. I feel you. I feel you. We have a lot of people reading. Uh, reading on webtoon. So I think on webtoon, we're currently on chapter. We're starting chapter eleven on webtoon. Um, and once we catch up to chapter twelve on webtoon, then we start putting out new okay. stuff. So, like maybe I don't know. So, so we, we do have new stuff in the pipeline and like, I'm already working on the next arc. Like arc one is done. Um, I'm already working on the next arc. Um, and we're, uh, what we'll, we'll have some new stuff pop. We, we put new stuff on webtoon every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And actually today we're featured on the webtoons front page for canvas creators day. So that's oh, cool. Dope. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, when this when this episode drops, unfortunately, it won't be uh, Creators Day anymore. But everybody, please go to Webtoons and check out the Uncommons. Uh, it is a great comic. Uh, it's a little rapid paced at first, and it may you may not be used to that depending on which manga or other comic yeah. book that you're reading right now. But once you settle in and get used to the characters, I'm sure you're gonna feel right at home. It's good good development that's happening there. Has a has a nice villain so far, from what I can tell. Um, but I'm only ten issues in, so uh, we'll see. I'm ready. I'm definitely excited to see how everything comes in the future and see what comes of this arc, especially since uh, Tony's got us hyped up and we know that at the end of where we're at, there's going to be more. So that's always interesting to me. I'm always oh, wanting yeah. to know like what the more is, how we're going to go next level, and what's going to happen. Uh, Tony, let everyone know how they can you know check out the comics. Uh, find you i'm going to also include the information in the show notes but obviously do you want to say any pub that you got to put out there definitely so you can check us out on instagram at weird enough hq um and i'm at tony weaver jr on twitter and instagram uh and the comic is just the uncommons on webtoon perfect perfect tony once again thank you for coming out Cuzzo, Rome, thank you guys for pulling up and assisting me on this interview uh, for Conquering the New World. And Supernovas, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us on this special interview. In tonight's episode, we discuss representation and identity at length. I want to encourage everybody to write the main character of your story. Um, we need to make sure that we're clear on who we want to be as a people and we're clear on the present environment that we're in. So... Write it out. Let's manifest some things. Imagine who that character is to you, and I encourage you to write at least one page. Get as creative as you want to be. Add some powers. Add some personality. And let's flesh some things out. 
Hit us up on Twitter at WorstGenPod. You guys know how to find us because y'all listening to the pod. I know y'all know how to find us. Use the hashtag WorstGenTalk and uh, let us know what you come up with. While you're writing that out, enjoy this 30-minute mix curated by Worst Gen Pod's very own Panda the Don and mixed by DJ Napalm. And until next time, we out. Adios. Super. Arrivederci. Yeah.
And until next time, we out. Bye, niggas. Super. Sayonara. Arrivederci. Yeah.